Do you think about making dynasty trades even while watching football games? Are you thinking of player values when you should be thinking of family values? Then you may have a trading problem. Don't worry, you're not alone. I am Dynasty Outhouse and I have a trading problem. And I'm Brian Haar and I also have a trading problem. Join us for the Trade Addicts podcast where you can be with like-minded people and talk about everything in the NFL in the context of dynasty trade values. News and notes, make amends, keep trade buys, all these things we will cover every week. And don't forget Trade Addicts trades. So when you're done listening to this fine DLF family podcast, please tune into the Trade Addicts podcast. Thank you and enjoy your podcast. You're listening to the DLF Dynasty Podcast, where there is no off-season. Welcome into another edition of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. I'm Dan Myler. With me this week, Ryan McDowell. Ryan, how's it going, bud? Going well, going well. We're missing our buddy Matt off on another trip. The man travels more than anybody I know, but <laughs> I say that mostly out of jealousy. We're, uh, we're, we're missing Matt this week, though. Yeah, no Matt. And last week we uh the three of us sat down and talked talked about some questions that we're trying to get answered for all these teams, every camp that we're watching, all all throughout the preseason. We got through the entire AFC. This week we're gonna try to tag team the NFC, Ryan. Uh, before that, I, I'm not sure if there's anything noteworthy worth talking about right now. There's been, of course, rumblings in the news, and we actually had NFL football with the Hall of Fame game, if you can call it that, I guess. <laughs> uh, but if, if there was any takeaway from that game, Ryan, it's probably that Chase Claypool reminded everybody that he's he's a wide receiver one in the in the lurking as a wide receiver one. I think so. It also hopefully reminded. Uh reminded his coach and coaches around the league to be careful with these guys in the preseason. He he got banged up a little bit as he as he landed on that ball and gave me a big scare. Um, yeah, all of us that have him, have him on our dynasty rosters kind of gasped with him as he caught his breath and uh it, hopefully he'll be okay. It sounds like he's going to be. That was the that was the true takeaway from that game. It was so fun to watch football again, Ryan, first of all. And then secondly, you know, especially when there's only a handful of starters on the field, these guys really can shine and and Claypool did that with that big 45-yard catch. I just I just you know, I was I was aching for something like that. And the Claypool, that made it worth watching that football game. For sure. For sure. I was, I was surprised to see Najee Harris play into the second quarter as well. Um, Yep. So I don't know. It'll it'll be a little different this year with, uh, with fewer preseason games. Uh, We'll see how these coaches handle the players and obviously uh, COVID and all the protocols still looming overhead as well. So uh, I don't know if we'll see too much of the stars in general in the preseason, but that's okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm such a dork. I watched the entire uh, Hall of Fame game. I'm sure a lot did, of people turned that off well. after a few series. <laughs> and then uh, on Saturday night, the Packers had their family night. So I found that online and had to watch that uh, replay here uh, on Sunday afternoon. So I uh, watched all of that, saw Jordan Love make a few throws, and was excited about that in the rain of all things. <laughs> Let's get to these camp questions, Ryan, and we'll get a chance to talk about the Green Bay Packers, but we'll go in alphabetical order as we did last week and start in Arizona. Is there is there a question that's on your mind when it comes to the Arizona Cardinals and, and what we're thinking about as dynasty managers with that team? 
the Cardinals really do feel like an offense that can take the next step. Um, you know, of course, they've got that young quarterback in Kyler Murray, locked in wide receiver one with DeAndre Hopkins. I'm just thinking after after Nuke, who's the wide receiver that we really want on our rosters? And And again, like some of the questions that we talked about last week, from a dynasty standpoint, it's pretty easy. I think most people would agree with me that you want Rondell Moore on your roster, but I'm just wondering if we're going to see him produce uh, immediately this year. And, and really, could he be, from a fantasy standpoint, the wide receiver two on that roster? Of course, they still have Christian Kirk, who, uh, you know, he teases us with two or three huge games a year. Um, he, he did that in the middle of the year last year, three big games where he scored, I believe, 18 fantasy points or more in a four-week span, and then pretty much nothing the rest of the year after that. And it's got to be that inconsistency that that pushed the Cardinals to draft Rondell Moore and also to sign uh, A.J. Green. So uh, Kirk, at the very least, has some some competition for that spot. Um, in the end, it's it's Rondell Moore I want. I want to see how they use him. I think they're going to use him uh, – to run the ball as well. And I can't wait to see him in action. Yeah. I, I would answer it the same exact way. You know, AJ Brown was really a shell of what we, what we've seen in the past of AJ shell, AJ Brown in the uh, last year AJ Green. with Cincinnati. And now, now Kirk, you mentioned the ups and the downs and he's had his struggles and all those things. The expectation before Moore was drafted, Ryan, was that maybe Kirk would slide back inside, play a little bit more in the slot, and take a little bit of that Larry Fitzgerald role and be that bigger slot. And now with Moore on the roster, it feels murky at best for Christian Kirk. So it's hard to answer that question with Kirk, even if you try to look through a 2021-only lens and try to identify the guy that we might be putting in our lineup to be a flex player or maybe even a wide receiver three out of that offense, I don't know that there's going to be that guy. And I'm as as excited about more as you are or any other dynasty manager that's out there. Um, But there's there's an acclimating period when it comes to playing wide receiver. And, And being a small guy like he is, I know he dominated Big Ten football when he was on the field. But it, it may take a minute for him to become that guy, and he, he might have to be one of those rookies, Ryan, that that warms up to it early in the season, gets a few more opportunities by midseason, and, and maybe by the end of the year we're seeing him make an impact. It might not be we're, – we're probably not looking at a Justin Jefferson-type rookie season out of, out of Rondale Moore. No, I, I wouldn't think so. Uh, I, I agree with you. And, and ultimately, those three guys and, um, you know, sprinkle in – some some usage from uh, from the running backs catching passes as well and yeah they, ultimately they probably all kind of cancel each other out from a fantasy standpoint in the short term. I tried to find some vacated target numbers when it came to the Cardinals to try to identify and and see what's really available because Hopkins is as long as he's healthy he's going to get his and he had they had running backs catching the ball but they weren't a major part of that passing game. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald at this point doesn't look like he's going to be back. I don't think he's retired officially, but he had 72 targets. I think if Rondell Moore or really any of these guys hit 72 targets, that's about what what can be expected. And and those are going to be really spread out between Green and Kirk and Moore. And, you know, if, if that's what happens, there's just not a lot of value to be gained. 
nonetheless, as dynasty managers, we're all salivating at Rondell Moore and, and hoping for 72 targets because that probably means that he's playable towards the end of the season. Let's move on to the next team on the list, Ryan. It is the Atlanta Falcons. When it comes to the Falcons and that offense, there are a lot of things to get excited about, especially the young tight end, Kyle Pitts. We've talked talked about him plenty, really, to this point. And uh, we're, we're a Kelvin Ridley type of show, so we've talked about him as well. Um, when it comes to 2021 and what to expect out of this offense, that Falcons offense needs a running game. And if you look at that depth chart, Ryan, it is not full of talent. They have Mike Davis, of course, coming over from Carolina, who who really saved a lot of Christian McCaffrey managers last year, uh, at least the ones that, that were able to add him to a roster, uh, and kept things afloat while McCaffrey was missing. But I think overall, most dynasty managers, Ryan, would say that, that Mike Davis Mike Davis was maddening to own last year to, to try to identify which weeks we want him in our lineup. That was rough. So if, if there's a question in Atlanta, it's probably can Mike Davis replicate what he did a year ago in Carolina? And maybe even can he be a little bit more consistent for us? Yeah, we look back at that at that season Mike Davis had, and you look at the final uh, the final numbers, and and he finished as an RB one, which of course is is impressive uh, for for any player of his caliber. Caliber, you know, he's he's a lifelong backup, career long backup, basically, uh, and and stepped right in and, and produced when McCaffrey was out. Uh, but we do kind of lose that perspective that we had from a week to week basis last year that. He was hot and cold. He had, uh, I believe, he had five games where he scored nine point nine fantasy points or fewer, uh, and that was uh, that was with or when McCaffrey was out of the lineup. That wasn't, uh, you know, that wasn't cherry picking those those two or three games that McCaffrey played. Uh, but ultimately, uh, it, it's hard to take anything away from Davis uh, as a as really a, an impressive story from a year ago. Now shifting over to Atlanta. I don't know if he can he can replicate that even without the competition that obviously uh, that that obviously McCaffrey would have and and that he's lacking in Atlanta. You look at the Atlanta backfield and and it's kind of a chicken or the egg situation. Like, have they struggled because they've had lackluster talent at running back, or have they struggled um, for more uh, big picture reasons uh, that that their offense just doesn't produce. Uh, running backs. You look at last year, of course, they signed Todd Gurley. He started off well, but uh, ended the season as the RB29. 2019, Devontae Freeman was in and out of the lineup. He finished as RB20. And going back to 2018, Tevin Coleman was the RB18. So uh, we, we think about that Devontae Freeman RB1 overall season, but it's been quite a while now since that actually happened. And we've all looked at Atlanta as a as a great landing spot when we were talking about where the rookies might land. I'm not so sure it's a good landing spot for for a rookie or for Mike Davis. Uh, I, I think he's going to be hard pressed to have another RB one season this year. Yeah, I think so too. I I fall in line with you, and and part of the reason of that is because the expectations of that defense is not to be one of the top. In, in the top half when it comes to putting uh, uh, holding holding down opposing offenses. So, 
you know, you try to start thinking about game strips and how that's how things are going to go. They they play a couple of tough teams in that division, uh, a couple tough offenses, and and a relatively tough schedule that that you know throws up a red flag for for all of us because that game script points to them having to throw to come back, and that that doesn't really fit into what what maybe Mike Davis's strengths are. Now that offensive line uh, did. It was a real problem for them last year, and this season they they tried to uh, tried to identify it a little bit or tried to tried to upgrade that offensive line. We'll see how that those those moves really work out. I just I'm a little bit leery. I, I'm not investing heavily in Mike Davis. I know a lot of dynasty players out there, Ryan, are are counting on him to be a running back too, and uh, and maybe even some that are thinking they're. Comp- competing for a title or thinking, man, I'm stacked. I got Mike Davis as my RB three. I'm not even convinced that that's good enough. Yeah, that's fair. And, and I mean, really with, with all of these running backs, we know the story here that the really all that matters is their health and, and are they on the field? If Mike Davis is healthy and on the field and playing every week, he's, he's going to be a starter, a fantasy starter. Uh, whether that's a, a low-end RB2 or maybe more of a flex guy. Either way, he's going to be in, in your lineup. It's just a matter of uh, how much upside does he offer, and, and that's kind of where I get concerned. Uh, I, I don't know if that Atlanta offense is, is going to offer the same upside that Carolina did a year ago. Yeah, that, that offensive line, they, they've they've invested high draft picks in the last couple of years that uh, Caleb McGarry, he was a first round pick a couple of years ago. He's still, he's still there. Chris Lindstrom is expected to be a, an offensive guard that will uh, really help them out and, and is expected to get better. And of course they have uh, Jake Matthews there on the outside. So we'll see how things go. I, you know, the, the one thing in, in the corner of those that are really counting on Davis to be a big time player for them is the lack of depth at the position. It's not like they have another guy to turn to immediately. We're, we're hearing reports that Quadre Olison is most likely the backup at this point. Of course, they drafted JV on Hawkins who had those big seasons at Louisville, a 1500 yard season in 2019 with nine touchdowns. And then uh, just under a thousand yards in his final year, had a couple injuries there, seven touchdowns and caught a few passes as well. So maybe he can mix in. I don't know if we're as dynasty managers, Ryan, expecting either of those guys to grab hold of that job and become a guy that we can count on in dynasty. No, I I don't think of either of those guys as having much upside. And if Davis were to go down with any kind of injury or, or honestly, if he just struggled so badly that they needed to work some of the other guys in, I don't think either of those would solely take his job. I mean, Hawkins is, is just not big enough. He was actually undrafted out of Louisville. Um, right. So he, he just doesn't have the size to be anywhere close to an every down back uh Quadra Allison certainly does have that, have that size. So maybe maybe those two could work together, but I I wouldn't look at either as as the answer. Yeah, and Allison he got a few opportunities last year when Gurley, who you mentioned earlier, was having his struggles and wasn't really all that effective. And it wasn't it really wasn't. And I know that offensive line was was a was a problem for the Falcons. 
uh, it wasn't all that good for Allison uh, out of that backfield a year ago. How about their division mates? It's the Carolina Panthers who let Mike Davis go in free agency, but added a big free agent of their own. It was the quarterback, Sam Darnold. When it comes to Darnold and really any ex-Jet, or really, Ryan, any any ex-Adam Gase uh, playmaker, really, yeah. right? Uh, all we think about is how all these other names in the past, the guys like Ryan Tannehill and Kenyon Drake, Devontae Parker, and even Mike Gusecki, how these guys have, post-Adam Gase, become fantasy playmakers, guys that we can put in our starting lineup when they were... They were really not even close to that when Gase was their head coach. So the question in Carolina has to be, is is, is Sam Darnold the latest of, of the post-Adam Gase uh, careers to, to take the next step and become a player that we want on our dynasty rosters? I mean, right now I have a hard time seeing it, but uh, I had a hard time seeing it with, with Ryan Tannehill too. And, and he went into Tennessee mm-hmm. as, as the backup and, and took Marcus Mariota's job. So um, it, it certainly could happen. We were just talking about uh, the upside of the Carolina offense in general uh, with Mike Davis. So you have to kind of like that, uh, that coaching staff, that offensive scheme, and, and certainly the weapons that they have in Carolina for Sam Darnold. You know, I was actually surprised he's got eight quarterback one games in his three-year career. I honestly thought it would be even fewer than that. I looked back at, at Teddy Bridgewater a year ago, and and Bridgewater finished as the quarterback 18. We don't think of him as having a, a great season a year ago, uh, but he did support those three wide receivers who all finished uh, as, as wide receiver two or high-end wide receiver threes. Uh, Teddy had 12 QB1 games over a five-year span and then put up five uh, last year alone. So um, I, I think we could see Darnold uh, certainly have the best year of his of his career. I don't think that's a stretch at all. I don't think he he gets into that QB1 range. I don't think he regains that much uh, that much value, but I think he'll. I think he'll just be fine, and I think. Uh, I think those receivers in Carolina will be just fine as well. Yeah, and you know, Darnold's missed some games in his career. So, so you mentioned those eight QB one finishes. He hasn't played more than thirteen games in those three seasons. Played thirty eight total games. Started all thirty eight of them. Uh, has a positive touchdown to interception ratio, forty five to thirty nine. And while that might not be all that. Uh, all that great when it comes to other other numbers that you look at across the league. He's still a young guy, you know, and was selected um, high in the NFL draft. He was supposed to be one of those one of those guys you can count on those those quarterbacks of the future. There were things to like about Sam Darnold coming out of USC. I think those things still exist, and he's shown that at times. If you watch his time, even with the Jets. He makes some pretty nice throws into windows that not a lot of quarterbacks can make. If he can hone that a little bit, and I think he has the coach there. He certainly has the weapons there in Carolina. I don't I don't want to overlook him for sure. He's a guy that I, I don't mind having as my quarterback three on any dynasty roster, whether it's super flex or even in, in a single quarterback league, because there still is upside. Let's go to the Windy City and talk about the Chicago Bears, Ryan. couple pass catchers that could could be breakouts there that we're thinking about. It's Cole Komet, 
It's Darnell Mooney. There's certainly opportunity here. If you had to make a bet, which which is the first to break out? Is it Komet or Mooney? I think Dynasty managers are excited about both of those guys, and, and the expectation For is sure. that uh, eventually they do both become fantasy starters. Obviously, that's uh, influenced heavily by the arrival of, of Justin Fields in Chicago as well. But uh, I think it really comes down to the depth charts, and uh, none of us can believe it, but Jimmy Graham still still hanging around on that roster and uh, actually had a kind of a bounce back season a year ago and, and certainly uh, outperformed what what most of us thought he would do. He's still there kind of holding Cole Komet back uh, it, it, at least a little bit while Darnell Mooney, it, it's it's wide open. They finally dumped Anthony Miller, who uh, we, we heard trade rumors involving him all offseason. He's now gone. And uh, that that wide receiver two job certainly belongs to Darnell Mooney, and and again with Justin Fields looking like he might he might even be that week one starter. We might not have to wait long to see Fields. I think I would have to go with Darnell Mooney here as as the player who breaks out sooner. But I I like both of these guys. Yeah, I like them both as well, and I just. I worry about Jimmy Graham just a little bit. Sure. That he's going to still get those red zone looks. Even after Komet got his opportunities in the last six weeks or so last season, uh, and he had 30 targets in those last six games, it was still Jimmy Graham coming in and lining up wide to the left and getting that fade pattern, getting that opportunity at the goal line. We'd like to see those chances go to a guy like Komet. We'd certainly like to see him on the field at least when they're down inside the five yard line and, and have a shot at, at one of those short scores that we depend on when it comes to tight ends that aren't one of those top three or four guys. When it comes to Mooney, there's probably an argument that could be made that he had a mini breakout as a rookie, right? We, we didn't have those kind of expectations when it came to him. And in fact, a lot of us probably didn't even know his name or certainly didn't expect him to crack the, the lineup, let alone, let alone the roster. So uh, it, it, it's, while, while it's certainly what he didn't break into starting lineups in Dynasty, he saved the best for last against the Packers in Week 17. Uh, 13 targets, 11 catches, 93 yards. They used him in that as that short uh, a crossing route option, those quick bubble screens, and got the ball in his hands. He didn't break any of those, make big plays with them, but they, they certainly see him as the kind of guy, and you mentioned that Miller's gone now, the kind of guy that, that could be a big part of an offense. So there there's... There's reasons to be excited about his upside. I don't think anybody's expecting anything more than wide receiver three type numbers when it comes to Darnell Mooney, and that's probably at the high end, though. Yeah, yeah, that's fair to expect, I think. And uh, and you're right. Sometimes with those those young players, not just rookies, but uh, guys coming off their rookie year like Komet and Mooney, it's it's easy to lose sight of uh, realistic expectations. The other thing that we should remember there is uh, – Allen Robinson still evidently not happy. You know, he he has not worked out that long-term deal. Maybe things turn around. I mean, we've got a year to to figure that out. Uh, so if if all is well with uh, with Justin Fields, etc., maybe he works out things. But there's certainly a, a decent chance that he's gone this time next year, and and there's plenty of room for both Komet and Mooney to see a lot of work. Yeah, we we you know just to just to kind of put a bow on the conversation, we, we just mentioned that Miller has moved on. It was only a couple of years ago that we were, we were all kind of smitten with Anthony Miller after his rookie season. He had had a nice start to his career 
just 33 catches, but caught seven touchdowns that year. And we thought maybe he could be the compliment to, uh, to Robinson. And it just never really, never really happened for him there. Uh, the quarterback upgrade certainly, certainly could, could give, uh, give our guy, uh, Mooney a better opportunity to, to make a big dent here in his second season. How about the Dallas Cowboys, Ryan? There's, this is a fun team to think about because we all saw the upside in the first month before Dak went down to injury in 2020. The running back was getting his. All the wide receivers were catching the ball. Tight ends were making plays in that offense, and Dak was on a world-beater type pace. So you could ask a whole bunch of questions you know, when it comes to the Cowboys. Again, we don't expect this Cowboys defense to be all that good. They're going to give up points. That offense is going to have to put up points, which bodes well for all of us in fantasy. I think if there's one question that I'm thinking about over anything else, and at this time of the year, Ryan, we as dynasty analysts, we, we start looking a little bit at redraft numbers, redraft ADP. Let's see where there are variables that are, are way off. And I think one of the biggest names on those lists is Ezekiel Elliott. You see him drafted in the first round in 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 startups or excuse me uh in in redraft drafts right now and he's fallen outside of the top top 12 you know even deeper in some some dynasty startups so there is an expectation in the fantasy community that Zeke's going to have a big big bounce back but in dynasty we can buy him a little cheaper than that so i'm wondering considering that undervalued price tag in dynasty what is Zeke's 2021 upside, and, and at what point are we going to buy Zeke? Uh, I think the ideal point to buy him was right after the season ended um, last year because, I, I mean, yep. he he was like... I think you were talking about that too, Ryan. You you were mentioning him whenever you he could. Was, he, he was, you know, he was that player that no one wanted. We were uh, worried about the age. We are worried about a down year, and... If you traded for him in uh, in those early, you know, early off season months, January, February, March, if you traded for him, or if you did an early startup and grabbed him in the second or third or even fourth round, which is where he was falling, uh, you're profiting big time right now because not only is his uh, his redraft value, as you mentioned, pretty high. He's a top five pick in redraft, uh, but his dynasty value. And and ADP is bouncing back as well. He he actually never dropped out of the second round according to our ADP. I know I I looked at a few uh, dynasty drafts where he was, as I mentioned, falling to the third fourth round. Uh, but now he's back to the to the top of the second round. So uh, you you can still buy, I think, and and make a profit. Uh, but your real chance to do that was early in the off season. I mean, you just look back. You talked about kind of the pace that they were on before the DAC injury. That's weeks one through five. After after five weeks, Zeke Elliott was the RB3 uh, from week six on with uh, with Dak Prescott out of the lineup. He's the RB24. So uh, obviously a, a huge difference there. Um, but I, I love the, the value that Zeke offers now. And as far as his upside... I think he could be the RB one in 2021. Yeah, I think I think you're right that he that he has that kind of ceiling. Could be the the guy that carries dynasty managers to championships. And you know, we all remember the end of last season when we couldn't even put him in our starting lineup. We saw trades where he was getting dealt for RB twos. 
uh, late in the season around the trade deadline in these leagues. And while those those values aren't aren't still available, we can't do those kind of trades today. I still think he's undervalued. We we've recently done some some multi copy uh, auctions where Zeke still doesn't get treated like a top five or even a top ten running back when it comes to prices spent. And uh, you know I know he's he's in that age group the. Uh, right around, I think he's 26 right now. He might be 27. I'm not sure. Um, but he's right around that age group where we're usually, usually saying it's time to get out, but he's got a chip on his shoulder right now. He wants to be part of the solution down there in Dallas, not the problem. I really do believe that. And if they get things rolling, especially early in the year, offensively, he could be in for, for a record breaking type season. Uh, Zeke's certainly a guy that you want in your starting lineup week in and week out, whether you're in dynasty or redraft. Yeah, he, he is still just 26, actually same age as Alvin Kamara, same age as Dalvin Cook. We're seeing those two guys consistently go in the top five of Dynasty startups, whereas uh, Zeke is falling out of that first round. And that may not sound like, like a huge difference in ADP, but a top five pick versus a, a pick in the mid-teens is, is a huge gap. And to me, those players should, should have relatively the same value. Really, you're right, and and think about that in a startup uh, mindset. So you're 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 able to take one of these elite wide receivers in the late first and come back and still get who what could be the number one running back, an elite running back in round two to get going. Uh, when when others were paying the third and fourth and fifth pick for for their guys of the same age that are expected to do the same kind of thing, there's there's certainly value there with the Dallas running back. Uh, I don't know if there's a whole lot of value with the team we're about to talk about here. It's the Detroit Lions. And, you know, really, Ryan, I, there's there's a lot of questions you could ask. And it, it'd be fun to have a conversation about TJ Hawkinson because he's one of the lone bright spots. You could say the same about DeAndre Swift and, and the young running back there. But, you know, and, and I, when it comes down to it, somebody's got to catch passes in that wide receiver core, right? And and you can say what you want about the quarterback and his struggles getting the ball down the field when he was in Los Angeles, but somebody in this wide receiver room has to be the number one guy. So we have we have Perriman, we have we have St. Brown, we have Tyrell Williams, we have Quintess Cephas. All these guys are bunched together, and there isn't a guy in the top 60, according to our ADP, in, in any of them. So who's the guy that we want to invest in? Is there somebody that you're thinking that, man, that's the one? Because there's going to be a, a guy that you can get wide receiver three or flex numbers out of. Who's that guy for you? Uh, yeah, I don't know if there is a guy, honestly. Um, and every year we have a team like this, you know, that's... Well, Swift is going to catch a lot of passes, though. <laughs> I, I think he could. I think Hawkinson uh, and Swift could um, could both, you know, be in the top three top five of their respective positions when it comes to targets and and all receiving numbers. That wouldn't surprise me at all because those are the two talents on this team. And uh, every year we have that team that's thin at wide receiver and, and that case is made exactly what you just said. Somebody has to catch the ball. And yeah, that's true. And, And one of these guys or a couple of these guys, maybe all four of these receivers that you mentioned are going to pop up with a random, uh, wide receiver one or wide receiver two game throughout the season. I'm not going to try to pretend I can figure out when that is. I I don't want any of these guys. I I guess the only good news is they're all still cheap, as you mentioned, 
uh, still all, all outside the top 60 um, ADP, uh, top 60 wide receivers. I, I, I assume that's what you were referencing there. So, yep. so still, still cheap. That's the good news. I think a lot of dynasty players will lean towards St. Brown as the rookie or uh, I, I know Matt likes Quintess Sifa still, still uh, kind of hanging on to him. And, you know, if you have to pick one, I'm going to pick the younger guy just to see what happens. Uh, I mean, Perriman and Tyrell Williams just haven't even been able to stay on the field consistently during their career. So mostly I'm avoiding all four of those guys. Uh, if, if I had to pick one, I would, I would take St. Brown. Yeah, I, th- I think I would too. And I've, I've kind of made my case for why I don't think St. Brown is necessarily a, a great NFL wide receiver. However, there's opportunity there and opportunity may be the most important factor when it comes to fantasy production in some situations. This is one of those opportunities. This is one of those spots where somebody's got to catch some balls and we've seen teams not support even a single wide receiver in the top 48 among wide receivers that has happened. Not all that many times though. It doesn't, it doesn't happen regularly. So I, I, I still bet against it. I think somebody's going to separate themselves from the rest. I'm not a hundred percent sure who that's going to be. If I had to guess in 2021, I would say one of the veterans, I would say Tyrell Williams has his best season as in his career, which really isn't saying all that much or Perriman kind of unlocks what he did in Tampa Bay a couple of years ago and and make some deep down the field plays. I don't know if that translates to wide receiver three numbers or start a startable guy week in and week out. So I think we're all just going to go every week with Swift at running back and we'll throw Hawkinson in there. And maybe you have to play golf when you're, when you're in a super flex and, and you got buys and injuries and stuff like that. But outside of that, there's not a lot of useful parts with this offense, Ryan. No, and, and you mentioned golf. That's the other thing to factor in. We think Detroit Lions, we think Matthew Stafford, but we, we've got to remember that's not the case anymore. He's he's now off uh, in la-la land out there. So he's much better off. This team, though, is not. And we, we've seen that wide receiver production. Uh, I mean, even last year they put up some big numbers with Galladay and Marvin Jones there. They were just clearly ready to retool this entire offense. And uh, again, I don't want any of these wide receivers. If there is a silver lining in Detroit with this offense, outside of Hawkinson and outside of Swift, it's probably on the offensive line because that that's well that they've really improved that group. Of course, they added Sewell in the draft with the number seven pick. They they re-signed Frank Ragnow. He's now the highest paid center in the league and one of the highest rated by PFF. I was looking at those PFF offensive line ratings, and I and I know that isn't uh bit you know we're not going to follow that every single word perfectly, but they're already up ranked number ten in the NFL. They're expected to be. In the top third, as far as offensive line groups, if they, if they gel, that could mean good things for Swift. It could mean Goff has a little more time to get Hawkinson the ball, and maybe one of these other wide receivers. You know, we all we always try to be a little bit positive with every team. It's a little bit difficult with Detroit, but there there is there is some small things to to potentially get excited about, especially with those two young playmakers that they have in Hawkinson and Swift. How about the Green Bay Packers? Let's talk about Green Bay, Ryan. Is there, there there's a lot of ways we could go here too. That we got the Rodgers saga is kind of over, or at least we hit pause on that for a year and, and Jordan Love's kind of lurking and we've talked about all that stuff too much. The wide receiver 2 is a big question and can Tunyon repeat what he did last year, but maybe it's a running back that we should be thinking about in Green Bay. What are your thoughts? 
Yeah, that's the player I'm thinking about. It's it's AJ Dillon because I'm I'm seeing him gain value consistently uh, in both dynasty and and honestly redraft. You said at the at the top we kind of have a little bit of a redraft uh, viewpoint on on this episode, and I'm I've been shocked at how high honestly AJ Dillon has gone in the redraft leagues I've done. I'm just wondering if, if you think. He can have standalone value this year. I, I look back at what Jamal Williams has done, and obviously with Aaron Jones back on that on that new contract, I think the 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 theory is that Dylan just slides into that Jamal Williams role. They're not quite the same type of backs, but uh, Williams has has done just enough over the years to be a thorn in Aaron Jones' side but he's never really broken through for that consistent fantasy production. He's uh, he's been the RB 38, RB 35, RB 45, RB 34 uh, throughout the four seasons of his career. And if that's kind of where AJ Dillon is landing, he's probably overvalued right now. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting conversation because there are the differences between Jamal Williams and AJ Dillon. And I think some of the pass catching that narrative, it might be a little bit overblown. If you follow the Packers closely, you'll you'll hear a lot of or at least see a lot of reports of AJ Dillon making making nice catches on the sideline or and and running more than just the flare routes but downfield wheel routes and and uh being a weapon in the passing game. So I think there's the potential for him to see those kind of opportunities especially if Jones gets nicked up. The the question here though is if they're both healthy it, can Dylan be a flex for you? Can you can you trust him to get the 10 or 12 touches? Williams while he was a thorn, he was probably not as much a thorn in the side of of Aaron Jones as he was dynasty yeah. managers of Aaron Jones, <laughs> right? Uh, we all wanted Jones to get those 22, 25 touches a game, and he kept coming in at fifteen to sixteen, seventeen, eighteen at the most. And Williams ended the season for each of the last two years with about one hundred and eighty touches. Uh, over 800 yards and about six touchdowns. That that's consistent. That's happened over two seasons. So. Again, if you start to think about where how usage is going to be split up, you have to assume at least, you know, in layman's terms that he will AJ Dillon will replace Jamal Williams. Now, Dillon also offers a little bit more of that power running game, a little bit more of that goal line opportunity. So, if there's a better chance at at goal line opportunities, he gets the same amount of work in the middle of the field, that might be just enough to to make him a useful player in 2021 the real value here ryan is probably as the handcuff if if jones goes down dylan is going to be the guy in that backfield and we're going to be looking at him as a 20 to 24 touch type player with pass catching goal line and everything mixed together in a really good offense and that's where that's where you can really make your money make your hay as a dynasty manager yeah, we all got uh, all got excited when we see when we saw AJ Dillon uh, kind of in that workhorse role late last season. Uh, the Packers had, had sewed things up playoff wise, and and they just let AJ Dillon run wild on. Uh, I believe that was a Sunday night game, and and run wild he yeah. run wild he did, and uh, that's really I think that along with Jamal Williams leaving is is what has been a big boost to Dillon's value. Uh, maybe I've oversimplified it as I've thought about uh, his his short-term outlook. I, I agree with you. He, he's going to get more red zone work than Jamal Williams did. 
but he's going to get less work in the passing game. So he's going to lose some PPR work versus what, what Williams did and, and probably gain some in the red zone and, and on the goal line. I've kind of looked at that as, as balancing out. Uh, and again, maybe, maybe that's too simple. Uh, but but you're totally right. If if Aaron Jones were to go down, it, it's it's a gold mine. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how they use both these guys. I, I think there's a very real possibility that they're playing double digit snaps on the field at the same time, Jones and Dylan, uh, maybe even upwards of 20 snaps a game where they're using Jones as a jet sweep type option and, and Dylan off of that. And they're, they're clearing pass for Dylan using J- Jones's athleticism and pass catching. If that's what they're doing, if that's what that coaching staff is planning for this season, there will be standalone value. If he's just the, simply the guy who spells Jones and, and is waiting, lurking for that injury, Looking for his opportunity, he's going to need that injury to to be really valuable and in your starting lineup weekly uh, in 2021. How about the LA Rams, Ryan? There, this this is probably the biggest news story of the last month or so, and there's been a lot of them. But when it comes to fantasy, it's it's all about Cam Akers and that injury and how that not only affects him long term for the dynasty guys like us, but also in the short term it, for just 2021. Daryl Henderson is in line for a big jump in touches and carries, and he'll be used out of the backfield in the passing game. He has a real high ceiling, but how exactly how high is that ceiling? And and in turn, how much are we willing to pay to get it at this point? Because if he has a big preseason game, certainly if he has a big week one, it is going to explode. Yeah, it really is. And and again, we're we're talking mixing in a little bit of redraft in this show. As soon as that Acres injury was reported, I was actually in a redraft um, in early in the rounds of a redraft. We were in the third round. Of course, someone had already drafted Cam Acres, but immediately Daryl Henderson was scooped up early in round three of a redraft league. Um, back to Dynasty, I I, I saw trades of Daryl Henderson for a future first round pick, which uh, of course that wouldn't have happened. Uh, hours before, days before, prior to that injury. And, and we've talked about Henderson on here. I'm still not willing to give up a first-round pick for him. I, I don't think he's quite there. We do have some new ADP on on Daryl Henderson. He's up to the seventh round, um, which I think is uh, that, that's about what I had projected. He's around James Robinson, Miles Gaskin. Those, those are kind of the players um, in the range where he's being drafted. I do think we're talking ceiling here. I think his ceiling is higher than those two players. Um, of course, we were looking at, at Cam Akers as a guy who could be an RB1 in this offense. I, I don't think Daryl Henderson is the same type of back as Cam Akers. I don't think he has that talent. But even last year in, in that shared backfield, he was the top 15 running back four different times. So I, I do think there's a ceiling there. Again, it comes down to health. I, I think it's reasonable that Daryl Henderson could be uh, a low-end RB1 over the full season in 2021. I think so, too. That's what I, I wrote down in my notes, low, low-end low RB1. That probably, we're, we're hoping for good health. We're, we're looking at 14-plus games played, and we're certainly thinking they're not going to add anybody through trade or 
uh, late here in the process before the season starts at the position. But we have to look at the rest of the depth chart. Again, it comes down to that. Just like the Mike Davis conversation, we're talking about Raymond Calais and Xavier Jones. And, you know, I, I see Xavier Jones getting a lot of love out there in free agent markets and my salary cap and contract leagues. I see him uh, getting added off of waiver wires with, I think, expectations that he's going to be part of that offense. I, I think it is very clear that Henderson is, is the number one guy with room to spare. He's going to get the first, second, and third opportunity to be the guy. And despite having those opportunities in the past, especially in his rookie season where let's be completely honest, he was a disappointment uh, after being a relatively high draft pick and, and coming into an offense that we were excited about him being a part of. In his second year, he averaged four and a half yards of carry, and he was he looked explosive. He made multiple really nice catches in the screen game and in the passing game that turned into big plays and, and even touchdowns. He had he had a opportunity late in the season to take over for Akers last year when they were playing against one of the best run defenses in the league in Seattle. And all of us worried. We're like, oh, we'd love to slide him into our starting lineup and get excited about him. But he's probably only a low-end RB2 or maybe a flex-type guy. And he was on pace for a huge game. He 12 for 62 in the first half and then got hurt on a big run that would have put him inside the five. And he probably scores that touchdown and, and might have had a, a massive game. So... There is recent history in this offense with this coaching staff of him being an explosive playmaker. I believe in that. I think I have no problem with people giving a future first round pick if if you are deep. If you if you're a, not only a contender but and but I want that to be the the kind of team where Henderson isn't the running back 2 that puts you over the edge. He's the running back 3. He's the guy going into your flex cuz you have two studs already. If that's the type of move you're making, I don't have any kind of problem. But it, but if you're not being honest about your roster, if you think, man, I got Zeke and nothing else, and my receivers are pretty good but not great, but I could contend if I had a running back too, then that's not a good trade because you know you're two injuries away from that being the the third pick in the draft next year. Let's not make those kind of moves. Let's jump over to the Minnesota Vikings, Ryan. There's There's a lot of things to talk about here as well, but when you think about the Vikings – you're probably thinking about that stud wide receiver, the, that guy who uh, who lit the world on fire last year with the with the 1,400 yards and all the touchdowns. It's Justin Jefferson. I I don't know that people are worried about it, but it's 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 worthy of thinking about how how replicable is that performance from last season? Jefferson made so many huge plays, and you know they still have to spread the ball out. There's there's a lot. There's there's three legitimate playmakers on this team. Their run-first offense with a defensive-minded head coach. Is Justin Jefferson, Ryan, going to repeat what he did in that magical rookie season? I think it would be hard for him to repeat that. Uh, I mean, one yeah. one of the best rookie wide receiver seasons we've ever seen, and, and for many, that was enough to move him to the wide receiver one overall rank. You, you look at his numbers. He was just 16th in the league among wide receivers in targets, 13th in reception, so those numbers are are consistent. 17th in touchdowns. I've talked on here before about his touchdowns. I think we could see those increase uh, greatly, honestly, uh, which which could help to kind of balance out the yards because that's where he saw the big boost. He was a big time playmaker and was third in the league in yards, uh, despite ranking in the in the teens and uh, among wide receivers in opportunity. <clears throat> so I think. 
I think there's already an expectation of, of a little bit of regression or, or a step backwards for Jefferson. And again, it, it comes down to, to that redraft information that we're getting in, in many uh, drafts I've seen seasonal leagues. He's not even a top five wide receiver off the board. He's more in that low end wide receiver one range. So I don't think most most players are expecting him to repeat that, and I don't think he has to to maintain his value as a as a top five to top eight dynasty wide receiver. When I think of incredible rookie wide receiver seasons, the the easy one that comes to mind right away is Randy Moss. When when he, of course, he was a Viking as well, and as a Packer fan, I just hated it every every second of him catching those bombs from Randall Cunningham. Uh, 69 catches, 1,313 yards, and 17 touchdowns in that unbelievable season. Anquan Bolden also had uh, a magnificent rookie season, over 100 catches, 1,300 yards, eight touchdowns for the Arizona Cardinals. These guys did not disappoint in their second seasons. They they had 1,000-plus yard seasons, multiple or double-digit touchdown seasons. I don't think the expectation is that he's going to disappoint. The, the real question is, can he be that wide receiver one? And I, you mentioned the difference between the redraft philosophy and the dynasty philosophy right now. I personally would not take Justin Jefferson to be my wide receiver one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't use a first round or even a high second round draft pick on a guy like that because the position is so deep. Plus, if I was going to, I would much rather have A.J. Brown. I, I, I prefer him uh, and a couple others, uh, maybe D.K. Metcalf even, because I, I just see them as those those physical freaks that that can dominate football games. Not that Jefferson can't, but he does it a little bit differently. And he feels like one of those receivers that maybe could be taken away defensively by some. So I, I love Justin Jefferson and his upside is through the roof. He could have an even better season in year one. But if I had to make a bet, is he going to have 1,400 yards? Is he going to have all those touchdowns this year? I'd probably bet no, because that's a safer way to go, right? Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. And you make a good point just about his kind of his frame versus some of the other top wide receivers in the game. I think that makes sense. And and just the depth of the position, um, some of the names you mentioned and, and plus the, the veterans, Tyreek Hill, Devontae Adams. I'm not sure. In fact, I know there's not a consensus overall wide receiver one right now. And, and again, that just goes to the depth of the position that we've talked about so much. We got to get through the rest of these NFC teams, Ryan. But before we do, let's talk about our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight, the daily fantasy sports uh, site for the rest of us. Even if you've played those DFS sites in the past, your experience with Monkey Knife Fight will feel completely different. No more competing against professional players or working through time consuming salary caps. With Monkey Knife Fight, you choose from unique, easy to play games, including the popular More or Less contests where you can bet on if your favorite NFL player will have more or less yards than predicted. You can also play all the other major sports, as well as golf, UFC, NASCAR, and more. Sign up for a new account with Monkey Knife Fight with a first-time deposit and receive a full year of DLF Premium for free. In addition, Monkey Knife Fight is going to match that total deposit up to $10 with the promo code DLF. That's it. That's all you have to do. You get a DLF subscription set up within 36 hours and you'll have access to everything DLF has to offer. So go log on to DynastyLeagueFootball.com, click the image for Monkey Knife Fight, and follow the instructions to get started 
today. We got to shoot through a few more teams here, Ryan. How about the New Orleans Saints? We we've we've lost a lot of targets. Vacated targets was a topic earlier in the show. Whole bunch of them down there in New Orleans. They lost Emmanuel Sanders, 82 targets. Jared Cook, 60 targets. Plus Michael Thomas in just seven games last year had 55 targets. That is more than almost any other threesome in the NFL. So we're we're looking at who could who could. Take up these targets. It's it might be our Adam Troutman. Is he, is he the next breakout tight end for us as fantasy players? I think he might be, and and it all comes down to to the opportunity you're you're speaking of there. This is, and I can't believe we're saying this about the Saints. It's an offense we've loved for for the past fifteen years, but this is another somebody's got to catch the ball team. Uh, who knows how long Michael Thomas is going to be out? It's it's not just the injury, but it's it's all the other stuff coming out now that um, he he basically wasn't communicating with the team as far as his injury. And uh, I mean, if you tell me he misses the entire year, I, I wouldn't be shocked at this point. So I don't think we can count on him when thinking about this team. That leaves Traquan Smith and Marquez Callaway, who I, I, I love as a as as a deep sleeper, but I'm not expecting. I'm not expecting a thousand yards out of him. And of course, Alvin Kamara is going to see plenty of work in the passing game as he always does. But that also leaves Adam Troutman. You mentioned Jared Cook gone. Wide open path for Troutman to make an impact. The Saints uh, don't really value draft picks uh, in the way so many other teams do. They they trade them around um, haphazardly, I think would be fair to say. But they traded up multiple picks uh, or traded multiple picks to move up and draft Adam Troutman two years ago. And and I think that's just a, a sign that I kind of keep in the back of my mind about how much they like this player. So I, I do think he's in for a breakout season. I think he is too. I don't know how great that breakout's going to be considering the quarterback play. We don't know, of course, who's going to be under center. These guys are not known for the, the short dump off pass and, and uh, you know, if it's Hill, he's gonna run with the ball if things break down. And if it's if it's Winston, he'd rather push it down the down the field and try to make the big play. So I don't know I don't know if that necessarily helps out a guy like Troutman. If they use him as that seam stretcher, there's certainly some upside. And and there are other names to consider when it comes to breakout tight ends. We talked about Komet earlier. The the guys in New England, if they figured things out, they could be a breakout fantasy tight end. There's there's a handful of guys that we should should probably talk about it when it comes to the breakouts at that position. The New York Giants, speaking of uh, needing a breakout, they they need one for sure. But if they're they and they've had this big upgrade of weapons, they've added all these players, including Kenny Galladay and Saquon Barkley's back and healthy. But they have such an underachieving offensive line that they've had multiple players retire this offseason after they got to camp on the offensive line. It's something weirds going on there in New York, and I'm just I'm just afraid that dynasty managers are excited about the upgrades on the offensive line that might help Saquon or or on the offense in general, and that might help all these players, including Galladay and Saquon and Daniel Jones especially. But that offensive line is a mess, Ryan. It really is. I guess uh, I, I guess grown men don't like wind sprints. <laughs> maybe maybe that's part of yeah. The I guess not. <laughs> uh, you look, you know, on paper, you look on the depth chart here, and, and it's an exciting team. You mentioned all the names. Barkley, um, 
I want to say he's back, but we're we're unsure of his health status. Galladay is already uh, banged up in camp. Kadarius Tony, the other uh, kind of impact or potentially impact uh, wide receiver they added, also banged up. And, and then even the the holdover, Sterling Shepard, uh, another player that just can't seem to stay healthy. So I'm as much as I'm worried about the offensive line, I'm worried about the overall health of this team as well. If they're all in the field, they could they could. Uh, you know, they could be an explosive offense with with multiple playmakers. I'm not really counting on that happening. So it's it's hard to look at any of these players, including Saquon Barkley, who we're seeing fall to the late first round of, of uh, redraft leagues. Uh, it, it's hard to count on any of these guys this season. Yeah, it certainly is. I'm I'm leaning away from the Giants, and it's a pretty easy decision to make considering the struggles they had over the last couple of years. And even with Saquon, as you mentioned, and you know this offensive line, it was bad last year, and it looks like it might be worse this year, which is which is just awful to think about uh, for those Saquon managers out there. How about the Philadelphia Eagles? Speaking of running backs that are sliding down draft boards. Are you concerned, Ryan, with the all these reports over the last week or so that Miles Sanders might be might be sharing the workload? He won't be the featured back in Philadelphia. You're a Miles Sanders guy. How how are you reading all this stuff that's happening there there in Philly? I'm not too concerned because it feels like we hear this same story every year, and then when it when it comes week one, when it comes game time, it's been Miles Sanders uh, and Boston Scott is fine. You know, Kenneth Gainwell is fine. They also add uh, on Johnson and, and Jordan Howard. We'll see how many of those guys actually make the week one roster. But you look at the offense, including Jalen Hurts, including these unproven wide receivers, and in some ways it feels like Miles Sanders is their their best bet at, at gaining yards and, and putting up points. So taking him out of the lineup, taking him off the field, just, just seems unwise. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, it, at least to the degree that the early talk has been so far. Yeah, one of those. It, it all started with that beat reporter who was talking about how how Miles Sanders and Boston Scott are going to end up splitting touches, and it could be an even workload this season. And gosh, you look at that 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 roster of running backs, including Scott and Gainwell, uh, and you know, it just it feels like Miles Sanders is so much more talented than what what else is around him. So it's it feels like a bunch of talk right now in the preseason. Everybody's got to be talking about something. I'm not buying it. I, th- I I'm a Miles Sanders fan, and I'll I'll have him in as my wide receiver, or my excuse me, my running back too, all season long. Let's talk about the 49ers, Ryan. Keep it with the running backs. Factoring the cost of all these guys, and there's a lot of names to consider. We've talked about it a couple times this off season already. Who do we who do we want to invest in as a dynasty manager? Uh, from a dynasty standpoint, I'm I'm going deep down the line here. There's there's actually five running backs drafted uh, in in our current ADP. Uh, the only team with five backs being drafted. Uh, I'll take Elijah Mitchell, the RB fifty nine. He's 191 overall. Uh, like you said, we've talked about the situation quite a bit. Trey Sermon's up to RB twenty three and and fifty three overall. Uh, I like the player. I certainly love the situation, but I, I'm not willing to to draft him that highly in a dynasty startup and Raheem Mostert already 29 years old, RB 37, 117 overall. So of course those are the, the two key names. 
but if I'm taking shots, it's it's probably going to be Elijah Mitchell late in the draft. Yeah, I was I was going to say the same thing. There's also Jeff Wilson running back 54. He comes in pretty late, relatively cheap. And then the other guy I wanted to mention is Wayne Gallman. I just have this feeling he's going to get an opportunity at some point this year. You're going to get some useful running back numbers over a stretch. He's way down there at running back 45, 237 overall. So I don't mind having him in my last roster spot. Seattle Seahawks, Ryan. Let's keep going with these running backs. Is there a running back that will challenge Chris Carson for touches in Seattle this year? Well, the expectation was that it would be Rashad Penny. And uh, it's it sounds yeah. like he's finally healthy. I, I, I hesitate to say that. <laughs> that sounded like a question yeah. in itself. It, it really is. He hasn't been able to get over this, this injury that took him out uh, over a year ago. And unfortunately, uh, I'm... I'm can't assume that he's going to stay healthy even if he when and if he does get on the field and the depth chart after that is it's pretty bleak Travis Homer uh, DJ Dallas uh, it, it it's pretty pretty weak after that uh, Carson missed some time last year and uh, Carlos Hyde took over and, and played pretty well but uh, if Carson is healthy I, I don't see any of these guys really pushing him off the field I think the best chance is probably what happened last year, a, a Hyde-type cut somewhere else added to the Seattle roster. And, you know, I just mentioned it with Seattle, with San Francisco. They always, all the running backs contribute there. It seems like Seattle gives multiple running backs starts in a season. Carson doesn't always stay healthy. There's going to be somebody, but I'm not betting on either of these other two guys, Penny at running back 62, DJ Dallas at running back 84, and nobody else makes the ADP. Nobody's investing in these guys for good reason. I'll uh, I'll keep with Carson, and maybe if they add a veteran, he's, he's an end-of-the-roster type guy. Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, can we trust any of these running backs on this roster, because it's another full-depth chart, to be any more than a running back three or flex play? Is somebody going to emerge here in Tampa Bay, Ryan? It's going to be tough. Another tough spot to pick who it's going to be. Of course, the, the, I think the main battle is between Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. We saw those two guys combine last year for 10 games at, where they were a top 24 fantasy score. Tough to project and, and know when those games were coming uh, for either specific player, of course. Uh, we saw Fournette get hot late in the season. Jones was actually pretty consistent despite the, uh, the, the the hate that he gets sometimes. I think the big factor here is is Giovanni Bernard. He's been a player. Uh, you talked about Wayne Gallman as, as kind of a last uh, spot on your roster. Gio Bernard's the guy I've been chasing in, in different startups and, and free agent uh, drafts and auctions this, this offseason. I think he can be a factor. Uh, I know my, my co-host on uh, on my other podcast, Locked On, Matt Williamson, loves Bernard, actually projects Bernard to outscore both Fournette and Ronald Jones in fantasy this year. I, uh, I told Matt, I don't know if I'm taking that walk with him, but I do like, uh, I do like Bernard as, as a cheap guy. Yeah, he, he is awfully cheap, 189 in ADP, 58 at the running back position. The unknown name or the, the forgotten name, of course, is Keyshawn Vaughn, buried down there on that depth chart now, 238 overall and 76 among running backs. Man, it, it looks like 
It looks like it's an uphill climb for him to make any kind of dynasty impact moving forward. Last team we should cover here, Ryan, is the Washington football team. Another running back question. Man, Antonio Gibson, he he looked good as a rookie, and it, all, everything in this offseason has pointed to him making a big-time leap in year two. Will he see a significant uptick in work in the passing game? Because really, that's what it's going to take for him to jump into that next tier, that upper tier of running backs in fantasy. Yeah, I'm definitely not alone in in projecting a, a, a big breakout. Uh, of course, we saw a, a, a very impressive rookie season from Gibson, but... Um, <clears throat> I think many are, are on board with him becoming a, another elite dynasty running back this season. I think it happens, and this is how it happens. He sees more work in the passing game. Uh, his teammate, J.D. McKissick, led all running backs in targets a year ago. Uh, so so Gibson doesn't have to get all the, all the targets. He just needs to get um, a, a portion of those. He just saw 44 targets as a rookie last year with, with McKinnon well over a hundred. So if we could, can see more of, of an even split between those two, uh, or if, if Washington figures out really what they've got, of course, I think, I think they know what they've got, but if they, if they let loose with Antonio Gibson, I think he takes the spot of, uh, of the, the Kamara, the cook types who were top five running backs and it's, uh, it's Antonio Gibson we're looking at as the top five back, back this time next year. I agree with you completely, Ryan, that in order to jump up into that, that elite tier, Gibson has to catch a lot of passes. I'm just not convinced he's going to do it, and it has nothing to do with his skill or, or his abilities in, in, that, in that part of the game. It's all about the quarterback. Last year, it was McKissick catching those dump-offs from Captain Checkdown, Alex Smith, and of course, he d- he doesn't have that anymore. That's not that's no longer there. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick who who is anything but a checkdown Charlie. He is going to push the ball down the field. And I know that coaching staff creates opportunities for running backs in the passing game. I think that's a that's a check mark in the on the side of the Gibson breakout in the passing game. But I'm leery. I, I don't. I, I see a lot of people suggesting it's a it's a given that it's going to happen. And as long as Fitzpatrick is under center. I, I just don't see him doing the check down part of it. It's going to have to all be created touches by the offensive coaching staff. And I'm not sure that they're going to, they're going to do enough there for him to make the huge leap. I hope he is the, the, the preferred pass catcher out of the backfield. I think that's very likely, most likely to happen. And McKissick is simply just a backup. Even then though, Gibson will, will show an uptick in fantasy points per game. He'll certainly be ranked higher next year than he is this year. I, I, I do believe that. Uh, Before we get out of here, we should once again thank our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. I want to say hi to Matt because I know he's listening. For Ryan, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening to this episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. We'll catch you again next week.